The reading this evening is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 17. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants, not the one who waters, is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives among you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Thanks, Liz. Evening all. Do keep that open, and let's pray before we look at it together. Father God, as we've just read in that passage We recognize that you are the cause of all spiritual life and you are the cause of all growth in godliness. And so as we come to your word now, we pray that you would bring life where there is none. And we pray that you would cause us to grow in all those different areas of our life, that we might be united together as a church for the display of your glory. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, for those of you who've been with us over the last uh, few weeks, you may remember that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to remind them that they've been called by Christ in order to be united in Christ. Called by Christ in order to be united in Christ. Hence the appeal that we saw back in chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thoughts. And the metaphor Paul uses there is a clothing one. To be perfectly united is to, is to be knitted together tightly in such a way that there are no tears in the one piece of cloth that was the church in Corinth. But sadly, as we work our way through this letter, we see that many tears are forming. Many cracks are appearing. Many divisions are happening because of their pride, because of their arrogance, and because of their spiritual immaturity. You see, the church in Corinth actually rated themselves pretty highly. They had a lofty view of their own spirituality. But Paul, you see, thinks otherwise. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Paul here isn't making a distinction between believers and non-believers. He's making a distinction between being mature and being immature. Notice that he does call them brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people who trust in the Lord Jesus, but they're worldly Christians who are stunted in their spiritual growth, mere infants in Christ, he calls them. They are in Christ, they're believers, but they're infants in Christ. They may have the Spirit of God in them, but they're certainly not acting like it, which you can see from all the divisions that are happening within this church. And so Paul then continues the metaphor, look in verse 2. I gave you milk. Not solid food for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. When God established this church through the preaching of the Apostle Paul in AD 50, they were babes in Christ. And of course they were. They just come to Jesus and they just trusted in him. They were babes in Christ. But as Paul now writes three to three and a half to four years on, they're still babes in Christ. They're still on bottled milk to use that metaphor, they haven't grown in spiritual maturity at all. You see, this may be a church with an outward appearance of being sophisticated and spiritual, full of high flyers and gifted people, a cutting-edge church, we might call it, in modern-day language. But in reality, they were anything but spiritually mature. These aren't meaty Christians. These are milky Christians, says Paul. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, have we grown? Individually, collectively, as a church over these last few years, have we grown? Are we moving together towards maturity in Christ? If so, what is the evidence of that growth? Or is there still something of the infancy that Paul speaks about here? You see, like the church in Corinth, that is, we live in an age that is very much preoccupied with, with style and appearance rather than substance. And it's everywhere in our culture, isn't it? You see it in pop culture. As every new boy band forms, they get the, they get the designer wardrobes and they get the, all the, all the dance choreographers and they look the part. There's all the, there's all the appearances there, but very often there's no substance. <laughs> They can't even sing. There's no substance. It's all, it's all the glam. It's all an appearance. But there's no real substance. 
But you see, when it comes to the church, it's not about style and appearance. It's not about the outward glamour. It's not about that spiritual veneer that we wear on the outside. It's about substance. It's about what's in the heart. It's about the content of Christian character. It's about a maturity. It's about a deep love for the Lord Jesus and for each other in the very core of our being. It's not about an outward veneer of spirituality, an outward appearance of of competence and gifting. It's about being centered on the gospel. It's about being united in Christ. That is the chief work of the Spirit, is it not? To bring people to Christ and to unite them together in Christ. It's about speaking the truth in love. It's about having a genuine concern for lost people. These are the marks of true Christian maturity. And so Paul says in summary, stop being a baby. Stop being a spiritual baby. You have been called by Christ to belong to him. Called by Christ in order to be united in Christ. And as we see, as we move into verse 3, one of those areas in which this church was being childish, they were still showing their infancy, if you like, is this division over Christian leadership, which was referred to back in chapter 1. But Paul picks it up here again, this attitude of making celebrities out of servants. Have a look at verse 3 onwards. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Paul and Apollos were Bible teachers. Servants of God who spoke the word of God and by the grace of God, through their ministry, people came to Christ. God used them wonderfully. But notice those two very important words in the middle of verse 5. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Not celebrities, these little groups forming around their favorite leaders and, and going after them and elevating them. Not celebrities, but servants who are called to work together for the cause of Christ in this world. And what then follows are two wonderful pictures that Paul gives us of what servant-hearted, humble Christian leadership should look like. Two pictures, that of a faithful farmer and that of a careful builder. The first picture then of the faithful farmer working away in the Lord's field. Have a look at verses 6 to 8 as Paul picks up this picture of the farmer. I planted the seed, says Paul. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. It's a simple picture, isn't it, really? The field is the church, the seed is the gospel. 
When Paul walked into Corinth, he was there for a year and a half and he sowed the seed. He shared the gospel. And after Paul moved on from Corinth, so in came Apollos and he watered that seed. How? By preaching the same gospel. Paul did his bit. Apollos did his bit. But God has been making it grow. It is the work of God to bring life and it is the work of God to grow life. And it's a picture that's become especially clear to me, I think, over previous weeks. I'm not much of a gardener. The last couple of months, we've been ripping up most of the garden at Coltman Avenue. Then a week last Friday, Dave Coppin came round and we threw down the topsoil and we sowed the seed. Uh, then Pete Short came round on Saturday to make sure the sprinklers were working all right because the seed needs the water straight away. Dave Coppin planted. Pete Short watered. But you know what? Neither of them can make grass grow, right? Only the creator of life can make things grow. And it's exactly the same in gospel work. Only God can bring life. Only God can grow godliness within the human heart. We're simply servants. Servants who have the outrageous privilege of working in the Lord's harvest field for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And there's two applications, well, there's many applications that flow out of this picture, but there's two applications that I'd like to make. And the first one is this, God is in charge of salvation and growth. So don't get proud. You see, it is the most wonderful privilege to play a small part in someone coming to know and trust the Lord Jesus or grow towards maturity in him. It is an unbelievable privilege that God might use us in all our weakness to do that. But we're just the servants, aren't we? We are instruments in the hands of the great Redeemer. It is God who germinates that seed and brings life in the human heart. It's not us, it's God. So we need to be a people who point away from ourselves and we point with our whole beings and our words to the one alone who brings life. We're simply servants who have been given the wonderful privilege of laboring in the Lord's harvest field. So don't get proud. It's God's work that we have the privilege of joining him in. Don't get proud. There's a flip side to that as well, isn't there? Don't get discouraged. Don't know what your life and ministry are like now. But Paul says, don't get discouraged. Like the farmer, we must be patient. Like the farmer, we must trust in God's good timing to bring life and to bring growth. And maybe for you right now, it's one of those fallow periods and life and ministry just feel pretty dry and lifeless. Maybe you've been praying for a friend for years or a family member. Been praying for my folks for 17 years since I came to know Christ. And you've seen no signs of life in them. Maybe that's tough. Maybe for you, you're reading the Bible one-to-one with someone and it's just hard graft and they don't seem to want to know. Maybe you're a parent here and, and your child or your young person professed faith years ago, but you've not really seen any growth. If anything, they seem to be fading and going the other way. 
Maybe you're involved leading or in, in, in a youth group or a small group or a home group and it just doesn't feel like anything's happening. I'm not seeing life. I'm not seeing growth. It's just hard, right? It's tough. Keep sowing. Keep sowing the seed of God's word. Keep watering that seed by gently sharing life and gospel and keep praying. Keep praying that God would cause that seed to bud beautifully in his good time in their hearts. God is in charge of salvation and growth. And that is a wonderfully liberating thing, isn't it? It humbles the proud person who thinks he does everything. No, it's God's work. But it lifts up and encourages the person who's on their knees because it feels like nothing is happening. It is God's work to bring salvation and growth. But there is a second application that I'd like to make. We are responsible servants of that change. We are to be responsible servants of that salvation and growth. You see, it's very easy maybe when we're, we're not seeing things happen, we're not seeing people get saved around us, it doesn't feel like we're seeing growth, just to, to pass that over to God and say, well, it's just not God's time. He's choosing not just to bless us at this moment, this season, for whatever reason. And that might be the case. But there's maybe another reason as well. Maybe people aren't getting saved because we're not planting, we're not sowing. And we're not watering. Maybe people aren't growing because we're not planting. We're not sowing and we're not watering. And if that is the case, people will remain at best mere infants in Christ. We are to be responsible servants of change. Do you see that? Have a look again at verse 5. Because we've all got a role to play in this. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. We've all been given a role to play in this magnificent gospel work. And whatever our role, whatever the Lord has called us to do as part of his body of believers here in Long Crendon, do it faithfully. Like the farmer, do it faithfully. Keep planting, sowing, watering, and trust the results unto God. And you will be rewarded, verse 8, according to your labor. When you hear those most beautiful words from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Firstly, we're called to be faithful farmers in the field. Secondly, though, we're called to be careful builders on the construction site. Have a look at verse 9 and the change of metaphor uh, that Paul uses here. Verse 9, for we are fellow workers in God's service. Fellow workers together in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. You see the shift of metaphor from the field to the building. We're no longer at the farm. We're on the construction site. So I want you to change that picture in your mind. We're putting to one side for the moment the field and the seeds and the sowing and the watering and the cultivating. And we've moved to the construction site and there's bricks around. And there's a solid foundation has been built. And people are putting these bricks together 
to form a solid structure. And that's what's now in Paul's mind as he goes on in verse 10 and 11. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, no doubt these words have have special reference to the leaders and the Bible teachers in the church, but I see no reason to restrict their application to that. Because, of course, in one sense, we're all building, right? We're all building on the one foundation of the gospel that God has laid in our lives. But how are we called to build? Carefully, right? We're called to build carefully. Each one of you should build with care. And if we don't build with care, then that's the result, right? An unstable, unfunctional building that is unfit for purpose. And of course, when we're talking about a physical house, doesn't matter too much, right? Maybe not ideal to live in a house like that, but it doesn't matter too much. But when we're not talking about a physical house, but a building of people, when we're talking about the church, the people of God, it really, really, really does matter how we build. And sadly, there are church leaders all around this country who aren't building carefully who are veering away from the one true gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified, the gospel that was laid through the preaching of Paul in Corinth. And as Paul goes on to say in verse 12 and verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is. Can you see that? If anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of the gospel, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw... Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. The day there in verse 13, capital D, is the day of the Lord. It is the day when we stand before our maker. And as you see from the references around it, it is a great day of disclosure. Can you see that? Their work will be shown for what it is. That day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. It will be a day of disclosure that tests the quality of each person's work. As you see in verse 14 and 15, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. You see, in one church, there may seem to be a thriving youth ministry. Hundreds of children coming through the door every week, and it's always buzzing. It seems to feel alive. There's loads of games. There's loads of excitement. But if they're not preaching the gospel If the gospel isn't being shared in life and prayerfully proclaimed, if they're not building on that foundation with gold, silver and costly stones, their work will not survive. If they're building in wood, hay and straw, their work will be burned up. 
because the day of disclosure will bring it to light. And as we read here, the builder himself will be saved, but their work will not survive. And that's the loss that they will suffer that is referred to there in verse 15. As Vaughan Roberts says in his commentary, if they belong to Christ, they will be with him in eternity. But there will be no fanfare or warm congratulations on their arrival. They must suffer an undignified entrance into heaven as one escaping through the flames, like a man leaping from a burning building just before it collapses. And so the question remains for us, how are we building? Are we individually and collectively as a church, are we building carefully on the foundation of the gospel that God has graciously laid in our lives. Because you see, on the other hand, there could be a really small church youth group. Five or six come along every week. But the gospel is faithfully preached. There is substance, right? Substance to what's going on. There's maybe no glam and glitz and all the razzmatazz of some things. But people come every week and lives are intentionally shared. And the gospel is laid out before them. The leader is building with gospel gold. Saving silver, costly stones, and as a result, their work, as we see in verse 14, will survive the fires of testing. And just like the faithful farmer, the careful builder will also hear those most precious words from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, to be farmers who farm faithfully and builders who build carefully on the one foundation that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we draw things to a close in verse 16 and 17, it becomes clear, I think, why Paul changes the metaphor from the field to the building. Because he wants us to understand that as a church, we are God's temple. United in Christ and indwelt by the Spirit. Verse 16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. And the you there that you see in verse 16 is plural. Paul is referring to the church. And in these two verses, we see just how precious and valuable the church is to God. You see, before Christ came into this world, the temple was the place where God manifested himself most gloriously. It was the place where people came into contact with the living God. But of course, that place is no longer a place anymore. It's no longer a physical building is firstly a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom God manifested his full presence and glory, a person where people come into contact with the living God, but also the secondary application of the church. Because God's glory is now manifest, it is visible in his church, in his people, and it is through his church, through his people, that others come into contact 
with the living God. And that's why Paul writes, as we come full circle, to remind the church in Corinth that they've been called by Christ in order to be united in Christ for the display of Christ. No tears in the cloth. No divisions in the body. No cracks in the temple. But a church that is united in Christ, indwelt by the Spirit. And that day after day, God is building up to be built into a monument for the display of his glory in this world. We've been called wonderfully by Christ to be united in Christ for the display of the glory of Christ in this world. So why don't you take a moment to think upon that privilege to be people called by Christ, to be united in Christ for the display of Christ. And ask yourself the question as well as you think about those two pictures of the farmer and the builder. What is the Lord Jesus saying to me this evening in his word? What does it look like for me to be faithful in farming? What does it look like for me to be careful in building in order that we would join God in his wonderful work of growing his church for his glory? So why don't you take a couple of moments to think those things through and then Rob and the band will come up and lead us.